all you have. You are now tuned in to Parker Swayze. So just sat back and ready to play. Let me take your thoughts far, far away. Now let's hear what Darth Vader has to say. We would be honored if you would join us. What's going on, my far, far away family? How is everyone doing on this amazing day in the galaxy? Nothing new going on out here in the outer rim. Pirates are plundering, huts are conspiring. Everything is about the same as it was last week. So we thought that we would do this episode a little bit different. Instead of doing the news and rumors first, we thought that we'd go right into the chapter, then do all of that stuff after the chapter was over. My assistant brought up a very good point, that not everyone cares about what's going on in the Star Wars universe. Some people just want to hear the book. And from our analytics and some emails, we found that a lot of people skip right to the book. So all that other stuff will be happening after the chapter. And if you like the changes, let us know by giving us an email. So let's get to chapter 18 right now. Bane had missed the morning practice session. It wasn't hard for Kasim to figure out who was responsible for his absence. He didn't bother to knock on Lord Cordes' door. He simply used the force to burst apart the lock, then kicked it open. Unfortunately, the element of surprise he'd been hoping for had been lost. Cordes had his back to the door, examining one of the magnificent tapestries that hung beside his oversized bed. He didn't turn when the Blade Master burst in. He didn't react at all which meant he'd been expecting the intrusion. Kasim gestured violently with his hand, and the door slammed shut. What he was about to say wasn't for the ears of the students. What in blazes did you do, Cordis? I assume you are referring to Apprentice Bane, came the too casual reply. Of course I griffing mean Bane. No more games, Cordis. What did you do to him? To him? Nothing. Not in the way you're thinking. I merely tried to reason with him. Tried to make him understand the necessity of working within the structure of this institution. You manipulated him, Kasim said with a sigh of resignation. He knew Cordes had no fondness for Bane. Not with Lord Kopesh, his longtime rival, being the one who brought him here. The Blade Master realized he should have warned the young apprentice to be on his guard. You twisted his mind somehow, he continued, trying to draw out a reaction. You forced him down a path you wanted him to take. A path of ruin. There was no immediate reply. Tired of staring at Cordes' back, he stepped forward and reached up to grab the taller man by the shoulder, whirling him around to face him. Why, Cordes? In the first brief second that the overseer of the academy was spun around, Kasim caught a glimpse of uncertainty and confusion in the gaunt-drawn features. Then, those features twisted into a mask of rage, dark eyes burning in sunken sockets. Cordis slapped Kasim's hand away. Man brought this on himself. He was willful, obsessed with the past. He is of no use to us until he accepts the teachings of this academy. Kasim was taken aback, not by the sudden outburst, but by the unexpected glimpse of uncertainty that had preceded it. Suddenly he wondered if maybe the meeting hadn't gone exactly as planned. Perhaps Chorus had tried to manipulate Bane and failed. It wouldn't be the first time they'd underestimated their unusual apprentice. Now Kasim felt more curious than angry. Tell me what happened, Cortis. Where is Bane now? Cortis sighed, almost regretful. Ah, he's gone into the Wastelands. He's heading for the Valley of the Dark Lords. What? 
Why would he do that? I told you, he is obsessed with the past. He believes there are secrets out there that will be revealed to him. Secrets of the dark side. Did you warn him of the dangers? The Palco swarms, the Tukata, and never gave me a chance. He wouldn't have listened anyway. That much at least Cassim believed. Yet he wasn't sure if he trusted the rest of Cordis' story. The master of the academy was subtle, crafty. It would be just like him to trick someone into venturing through the deadly valley of the Dark Lords. If he wanted to eliminate Bane without being held accountable, this would be one of the ways to do it. Except for one small thing. He's going to survive, Kasim stated. He's stronger than you know. If he survives, Cordis replied, turning back to the tapestry. He will learn the truth. There are no secrets in the valley. Not anymore. Everything of value has been taken. Stripped away first by Sith seeking to preserve our order, and later by Jedi seeking to wipe it out. There is nothing left in the tombs but hollow chambers and mounds of dust. Once he sees this for himself, he will give up his foolish idealization of the ancient Sith. Only then will he be ready to join the Brotherhood of Darkness. The conversation was over, that much was clear. Cordis's words made sense. If this was all part of a larger lesson to make Bane finally abandon the old ways and accept the new Sith Order and Khan's Brotherhood. Yet as he turned and left the room, Kasim couldn't shake the feeling that Cordis was rationalizing events after the fact. Cordis wanted others to believe he had been in control the whole time. But the haunted look the Blade Master had glimpsed gave evidence to the real truth. Cordis had been scared by something Bane had done or said. That thought brought a smile to the Twi'lek's lips. He had every confidence Bane would survive his journey into the Valley of the Dark Lords. And he was very interested to see what would happen when the young man returned. Now this chapter starts off with Kasim kicking in Cordis's door. He is demanding that Cordis tells him what he did to Bane. Cordis tells Kasim that he didn't do anything to Bane. He only tried to convince Bane to work with the Academy and not against it. Kasim knew that Cordis didn't like Bane because Colpage brought him to the Academy. Colpage being a longtime rival of Cordis. My whole thing about this part is it shows how powerful Kasim is. He kicked in Cordis's door and Cordis does nothing about it. And showing us how good the Blade Master actually is. It is hard for me to believe that anyone could just kick in a Sith Master's door and he doesn't do anything about it or even get mad. But this let us know that Cordis believes that he can't beat Kasim. This is where Kasim asked Cordis where Bane is at now. Cordis tells him that he went to the Valley of the Dark Lords. I don't know about everyone else, but this doesn't seem like a place that I would want to visit. But Kasim asked Cordis why Bane would want to go out there. Then he asked if Cordis warned him of the dangers. Cordis tells Kasim that Bane is stuck in the past. He's in search of some answers that he thinks he will get from the ancient Sith Lords. Some secret of the dark side that they don't know about. Kasim tells Cordis that Bane will survive. He is much stronger than Cordis realized, and Kasim couldn't wait to see what happened when Bane returned. Sirak was moving gingerly. He spent the past 36 hours in the Bacta tank, and though his injuries were completely healed, his body still instinctively reacted to the memories of the wounds inflicted by Bane's saber. Slowly, he gathered up his personal effects, anxious to return to the familiar surroundings of his own room and leave the solitude of the med center behind. 
One of the med droids floated in, bringing him a pair of pants, a shirt, and a dark apprentice's robe. The clothes smelled of disinfectant. It was common practice to sterilize everything before bringing it into the med center. The garments fit, but he knew as soon as he put them on that they had never been worn before. He hadn't seen a single being other than the medroids since being carried unconscious from the dueling ring. Nobody had come to check up on him while he'd floated in the healing fluid. Not Cordis, not Kasim, not even Loke or Yivra. He didn't blame them. The Sith despised weakness and failure. Whenever apprentices lost in the dueling ring, they were left alone with the shame of their defeat until strong enough to resume their studies. It happened to everyone sooner or later, except it had never before happened to Sirak. He had been invincible, untouchable, the top apprentice in every discipline. He'd heard the rumors and the whispers. They called him the Sithari, the perfect being. Only they wouldn't be calling him the Sithari now. Not after what Bane had done to him. He turned to the door and found Githany standing there, watching him. What do you want? He asked warily. He knew who she was, though he'd never actually spoken to her. On the day of her arrival, he'd identified her as a potential threat. He'd watched her, and he'd seen her watching him, each measuring and gauging the other, trying to determine who had the upper hand. Sirak was wary of all potential challengers, or so he had thought, until the one student he'd feared the least had brought him down. I came to speak to you, she answered, about Bane. He twitched involuntarily at the name, then cursed himself for his reaction. If Githany had noticed, she gave no indication. What about him? He asked curtly. I am curious as to what your plans are now. How are you going to handle the situation? It was a struggle to summon up his old arrogance, yet somehow he managed a satisfactory sneer. My plans are my own. Are you going to seek revenge? She pressed. In time, perhaps. He finally admitted. We love bringing you more Star Wars, and it is because of our partners that we can do this week after week. So we invite you to be one of those partners. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us keep this going. Your support will give us the ability to create future episodes, as well as provide you with the best sounding show on your playlist. And to express our appreciation, we will give you a shout out on our mid-series show that we do in the middle of every book. You will also be automatically entered in all future giveaways. All you have to do is go to the show notes and click that listener support link. Now let's get back to the show. I can help you. She took a step farther into the room. Even in that single step, Sierra could see that she moved with the sensual grace of a Zeltron veil dancer. He narrowed his eyes suspiciously. Why? I helped Bane defeat you, she said. I recognized his potential from the moment I first saw him. When Cordis and the other masters turned their backs on him, I secretly taught him their lessons in the Force. I knew the dark side was strong in him. Stronger than in me. Stronger than in you. Maybe even stronger than in the masters themselves. Sira couldn't see the point of her story. You still haven't answered my question. You got what you wanted out of Bane. Why help me now? She shook her head sadly. I was wrong about Bane. I thought if I helped him grow stronger, he would embrace the dark side. Then I could learn from him and gain power of my own. But he is incapable of embracing the dark side. 
Everyone else believes his triumph over you was a great victory. Only I recognized it as a failure. She was toying with him, mocking him, and he didn't like it. No one ever beat me in the dueling ring before Bane, he snapped. How can you call him a failure? You are still alive, she said simply. When the moment came to strike you down and end your life, he hesitated. He couldn't bring himself to do it. He was weak. Intrigued, Sirak didn't respond right away. Instead, he waited for her to elaborate. He plotted and planned for months to take his revenge on you, she continued. His hate gave him the strength to surpass you, and at the last instant, he showed mercy and let you live. I left him alive at the end of our first duel, Sirak reminded her. That was no act of mercy, it was an act of contempt. You thought you had utterly destroyed him. If you knew he would rise up to one day challenge you again, you would have taken his life, regardless of the rules of the Academy. You underestimated him. A mistake I know you won't make again. But Bane does not underestimate you. He knows you are powerful enough to represent a true threat. Yet still, he left you alive, knowing you would one day seek revenge against him. He's either a weakling or a fool, she concluded. And I want no part of either. There was some truth in what she said, but Sirak still wasn't convinced. You change allegiances too quickly, Githany, even for a Sith. She was silent for a long time, trying to figure out how to answer him. Then suddenly she looked down at the floor, and when she looked up... Her eyes were filled with shame and humiliation. It was Bane who ended this alliance, not me, she admitted, nearly choking on the words. He abandoned me, she continued, making no attempt to hide her bitterness. He left the academy. He never told me why. He never even said goodbye. Suddenly, everything fell into place. Sirak understood her sudden desire to join with him in a partnership against her former ally. Githany was used to being in control. She was used to being in charge. She was used to being the one who ended things. And she didn't like being on the other side. It was like the old Corellian expression, fear the wrath of a female scorned. Where did he go? He asked. The students are saying Cordis sent him out into the Valley of the Dark Lords. Sirak nearly blurted out, then he's dead already. But at the last second, he remembered her admonishment not to underestimate Bane again. Instead, he said, you expect he will return. I'm certain of it. Then we will be ready. Sirak promised. When he comes back, we will destroy him. This part starts off with Sirik moving around after being in the back of the tank. He had been in the tank for the past 36 hours. Man, I wish we had this stuff. Could you imagine getting that messed up and being healed up that fast? That would be so amazing. Just think about it. We break our arm, it takes like six months for it to heal. You're wearing a cast and everything. You could just stick your arm in the stuff for a couple hours and it would heal your arm. You know, 36 hours to heal a broken leg? That's crazy. But Sirik knew he was left there to wallow in the shame and defeat. That's why nobody came and visited him. A defeat 
that until now he had never experienced. At one point, he was known as a Sithari, the perfect being, but now he would not be called that anymore. Bane defeating him has squashed all that. This is when he noticed Bethany is standing there watching him. He knew who she was, but he had never spoken to her. Sarek asked her what she wanted. Bethany said that she had came to speak with him about Bane. At the sound of the name, Sirik winced like a punk. She asked him what he was planning to do about the whole situation. See, that's why I don't like Bethany. She is constantly scheming and switching sides. That is what we call a buster back in the day. Then she asks if he is going to seek revenge. Sarek tells her perhaps one day, but that depends on the situation. Then she tells him that she can help him get it. Sarek simply asks her why she would want to help him. Now this is some of the craziest stuff I ever heard. Bethany tells Sarek that she had helped Bane beat him. Now if that was me and I was Sarek, I would have killed her right then and there. But Sarek asks her then why she is willing to help him now. She said that Bane is not willing to embrace the power of the dark side, so he doesn't deserve to live. Sarek tells Bethany exactly what I said earlier. She changes sides too easily. Then she states that Bane left her without even saying goodbye, and Sirik figures out why she is the way that she is. Bethany likes being the one in charge. She is the one that ends things, not the other way around. He said a saying that is quite like the one we use all the time. Hell has no fury like a woman scorned. So she wants to get a revenge on Bane for hurting her. As Bane marched across the scorched sand of Korriban's wastelands, he noticed the sun sinking quickly below the horizon. He'd been walking for hours beneath its heat. The small city of Dreshta and the temple that towered over it were far behind him. They had been reduced to mere specks on the horizon. If he was to look back, he would have just been able to make them out in the fading light. He didn't look back. He marched doggedly onward. The blazing heat hadn't slowed him, neither would temperatures that were about to drop to near freezing with the setting of the sun. Physical discomfort, cold, heat, thirst, hunger, fatigue had no significant effect on him, sustained as he was by the power of the Force. Still, he was troubled. He remembered the first time he'd set foot on Korriban. He'd sensed the power of the world. Korriban was alive with the dark side, yet the feeling had been faint and distant. During his time at the Academy, he'd grown so accustomed to the almost subconscious hum that he barely even noticed it anymore. When he'd left the temple and the starport behind, he'd expected that feeling to grow stronger. With each step drawing him closer to the Valley of the Dark Lords, he thought he'd feel the dark side growing in its intensity. Instead, he'd felt nothing. No noticeable change at all. He was only a few kilometers away from the valley's entrance. He could see the shaded outlines of the nearest tombs carved from the stone walls. And still, the dark side was no stronger than a hollow echo. No more than the lingering memory of distant words spoken in the distant past. Pushing his doubts and reservations aside, he redoubled his pace. He wanted to reach the valley before complete darkness. He had grabbed a handful of glow rods before leaving the academy. He could use them to find his way if necessary. Unfortunately, their light would act like a beacon in the darkness, signaling his location to anyone or anything. With his new lightsaber at his side, he was confident he could survive almost any encounter. But there were things that lurked near the tombs whose attention he would rather not attract. The last few rays of light still hung in the air when he finally reached his destination. The Valley of the Dark Lords lay sprawled out before him, hidden beneath the cover of Twilight's gloom. He briefly considered stopping for the night and making camp until dawn, then rejected the idea. 
day or night, would make no difference once he was inside the tombs. He'd have to use the glow rods no matter what time it was. And now that he was finally here, he was too eager to see what he could find to put it off any longer. He chose the nearest temple, the only one he could actually make out in the dim light. Like all the tombs, this one had been dug out from the high stone cliffs that boxed in the valley on either side. The grand archway at the entrance had been built out from the cliff face, but the chambers that housed the remains of the Dark Lord interred within wound their way deep into the rock. As he got closer, he could make out intricate designs carved into the archway. Something was written across the top in letters he didn't recognize. He guessed that the craftsmanship would have been awe-inspiring at one time, but eons of desert winds had worn away most of the detail. He paused on the threshold, taking in the air of forbidden mystery that surrounded the entrance to the tomb. He still sensed no change in the force, however. Stepping up to the entrance, he was shocked to see that the great stone slab of a door had been split asunder. He ran his fingers along the edges of the fissure. Smooth, worn. Whoever had broken the door had done it long ago. Bane stood up straight and marched boldly through the shattered portal. He made his way down the long entrance tunnel, moving slowly through the gloom. Half a dozen meters in, the darkness became absolute. So he pulled out a glow rod and activated it. An eerie blue light filled the tunnel, sending a small swarm of deadly pelco bugs scurrying for refuge beyond the dim circle of illumination. They had been stalking him, closing in from all sides. He could still sense them there, lurking in the shadows all around him. But he wasn't afraid. After all, it wasn't the light keeping them at bay. Pelco bugs, like many of the creatures indigenous to Korriban, were attuned to the Force. They would have sensed Bane's arrival even before he entered the tomb. His power would inevitably draw them in. Yet it also kept them and their paralyzing spines at a safe distance. Instinctively, the Pelco bugs could sense the sheer scope of his power. They were wary of him. They wouldn't come close enough to actually attack him, making them nothing more than a nuisance. Larger predators, like the Tukata, might pose a real threat. But he'd deal with them if and when the time came. Right now, he was more concerned with the potential dangers the builders of the tomb might have left behind. Sith mausoleums were notorious for their fiendishly lethal traps. Bane reached out with the Force, carefully probing the walls, ground, and ceiling in front of him for anything out of the ordinary. He was relieved and slightly disappointed to discover nothing. Part of him had hoped he would stumble across an undiscovered chamber, something the Jedi had missed. He continued down the tunnel, winding his way past various chambers where the wealth and treasures would have been buried with the deceased Dark Lord, along with his still-living lesser servants. The rooms held no interest for him. He wasn't a grave robber. Instead, he continued deeper and deeper until he reached the burial chamber itself. The Pelco bug smashed his progress, endlessly circling just beyond the blue illumination cast by his glow rod. He could hear the high-pitched clicking of the frustrated swarm, powerless to assail their prey, yet irresistibly caught up in the wake of his passing. The burial chamber was easily identifiable by the enormous stone sarcophagus in the center of the room, resting atop a small stone pedestal. It was little more than a blocky shadow on the fringes of the glow rod's light. 
but it filled him with a sense of both fear and awe. Still using the force to scan for traps, he cautiously approached the tomb, his trepidation growing as the blue light washed over it to reveal more and more details. The stone was carved with symbols similar to those on the crypt's entrance, but these hadn't suffered untold centuries of erosion. They stood out, starkly, brutal, and sharp. He couldn't read the unfamiliar language or identify the Dark Lord from the crest, yet he knew this was the resting place of an ancient and mighty being. He reached the platform. It stood a little higher than his knee. He put one foot on it, then reached out to grip a protruding edge of one of the carved symbols on the side of the sarcophagus itself. He half expected to receive a sharp jolt or shock, but all he felt was cold stone beneath his palm. Using his hold to maintain his balance, he hauled himself up so that he was standing with both feet on the platform, looking down at the top of the tomb. To his horror, he could now see that the stone slab sealing the sarcophagus had been virtually destroyed. Whatever had been inside was gone, replaced by rubble, dust, and a few bits of broken bone that might once have been the fingers or toes of the Dark Lord's skeletal remains. He stepped down from the platform, frustrated but still not willing to give up. Slowly he turned in a great circle, as if he expected to find the stolen remains lying in a corner of the burial chamber. There was nothing. The tomb had been robbed and defiled. Bane hadn't been sure what he expected to find, but it wasn't this. The spirits of the ancient Dark Lords were beings of pure dark side energy. They were as eternal as the Force itself. The spirit would linger for centuries, millennia even, until a worthy successor came along. Or so the texts in the archive had led him to believe. Yet the harsh evidence before him was undeniable. The ancient manuscripts had failed him. He had gambled everything on the truth of their words, even defying Cordus himself, and he had lost. In desperation, he cast his head back and threw his arms to the uneven rock of the ceiling above. I'm here, master, he cried. I've come to learn your secrets. He paused, listening for a response. Hearing nothing, he shouted, Show yourself! By all the power of the dark side, show yourself! His words reverberated off the walls, sounding empty and hollow. He dropped to his knees, his arms falling to his sides and his head slumping forward. As the echo died away, the only sound was the shrill clicking of the Pelco box. This next part starts off with Bane marching across the Badlands. He believes the closer he gets to the Valley of the Dark Lords, the Dark Side will grow stronger. But that is not happening. If anything, the Dark Side is growing weaker. But still, he marches as the light fades away. He was getting closer to the tomb's entrance. He could see the silhouettes in the distance. Well, he better hurry up and get there before it gets dark. From the way Kasim was talking, there's some pretty bad stuff in the Valley of the Dark Lords. He finally gets to the tomb and thinks of making camp, but he remembers that he would need his glow rods once he gets inside. So he looks at the door of the tomb. He realizes that it had been opened a long time ago. This is when he enters the tomb and starts down the winding tunnel. Once it becomes too dark, he ignites the glow rods to light the path. This is when he sees the Pelco bugs scurrying away from the light. Pelco bugs are small creatures that have millions of microscopic bars that deliver paralyzing toxins. They only live beneath the sands of the Valley of the Dark Lords on Corvon. 
They were attracted to four sensitive beings. They would stalk and swarm their prey in the darkness. The bugs attunement to the force allowed them to determine if a creature was suitable prey. These are the same bugs that they used their barbs in their training savers because their venom gave the same feeling as losing a limb. But Bane was very powerful in the dark side. The same powers that attracted them kept them from attacking. But there were creatures in the tomb that posed a real threat, like the Tukata. These were very large quadrupedal creatures whose limbs ended in claws. They boasted long whip-like tails, a mouth of sharp fangs, and a row of spines along their back and tails. Just imagine a very large wolf with a whip for a tail, a row of sharpened bones sticking out their back that goes all the way down to the end of their tail. And just like wolves, they are pack hunters. I will leave a link to both the Pelco Bugs and Ducato in the show notes. But Bane also had to worry about booby traps that might have been set by the Sith Lords and the designers of the tomb. He finally reached the tomb of the Sith Master. This is what he had been searching for. He entered the room that stored the sarcophagus to find that someone had already stripped the remains of the Sith Lord. So he called out hoping that the dark side energy of that master might still be there. And all he hears is his own echoes in silence. This is what gets me. He knows that grave robbers and the Jedi have already combed the tombs years before. So why did he think he was going to find anything in the first place? Him going out here was just a giant waste of time. He had already been taught that people have already been there. They've already stripped all the tombs. So why did he go? Kopej spit on the ground as he surveyed the camp. He was surrounded by an army, but it was an army of inferiors. Everywhere he looked, he saw the minions of the Sith, battle ragers, assassins, and apprentices. But there were precious few Sith masters. The seemingly endless war against the Jedi on the battlefields of Rusan was taking a heavy toll on Khan's Brotherhood of Darkness. Without reinforcements, they would be forced to retreat or be wiped out by General Hoth and his hated army of light. The heavy-set Twi'lek rose to his feet, spurred to action by the realization that something had to be done. He made his way through scattered pockets of soldiers, noticing how many were injured, exhausted, or simply defeated. By the time he reached the entrance to Lord Khan's tent, the contempt he felt for his so-called brothers had reached a boiling point. When Kopej entered, Lord Khan took one look at him and dismissed his other advisors with a sharp wave of his hand. They filed out, none of them daring to come too close. What is it, my old friend? Khan asked. His voice was charming as ever, but his eyes were wide and wild like a hunted beast. Have you seen what passes for our army out there? Kopej snarled, poking a thumb over his shoulder as he walked slowly forward. If this is all we have to stand against Lord Hoth, we may as well burn our black robes and start practicing the Jedi Code. We have reinforcements coming, Lord Khan assured him. Two more full divisions of foot soldiers, another corps of snipers, half a platoon of repulsor craft armed with heavy guns. There are many who are drawn to the glory of our cause, more and more each day. The Brotherhood of Darkness cannot fail. Kopej took a little comfort in his promises. Lord Khan had always been the strength of the Brotherhood of Darkness, a man who had rallied the Dark Lords to a single cause through the greatness of his personality and vision. Now, however, he looked like a man on the edge. The strain of constantly battling the Jedi had left him frazzled. Kopej shook his head in disgust. I am not one of your sycophantic advisors, he said, his voice rising. I won't grovel and scrape before you, Lord Khan. 
I won't heap praise on your fool head when I can see with my own eyes that you are leading us to our destruction. Keep your voice down, Khan snapped. You will destroy the morale of our troops. They have no morale left to destroy. Kopesh shot back, though he did lower his volume. We can't defeat Jedi with ordinary soldiers. There are too many of them and not enough of us. By us, you mean those worthy of joining the ranks of the Dark Lords, Khan replied. He sighed and stared down at the hollow map spread out on the table before him. You know what you have to do, Kopesh told him, his voice losing some of the anger. He had chosen to follow Khan. He wouldn't abandon him now. But he wasn't about to sit idly by and face certain defeat. We face an army of Jedi Knights and Masters. We can't stand against them without our own Masters from the Academy. The students too. All of them. They are mere apprentices, Khan protested. They are the strongest of our order, Kopesh reminded him. We both know even the lowliest students on Korriban are stronger than half the so-called Dark Lords here on Rusan. Cordis's work is not yet complete. The students there still have so much to learn, Khan insisted, though without much force. So much untapped potential. The Academy represents the future of the Sith. If we cannot defeat the Jedi here on Rusan, then we have no future. Kopesh insisted. Lord Khan clutched his head with his hands, as if a great pain threatened to burst his skull in two. He began to tremble in the grip of some terrible palsy. Kopesh involuntarily stepped back. It only took a few seconds for Khan to regain his composure and lower his hands. The haunted look in his eyes was gone, replaced by the calm self-assurance that had drawn so many to the Brotherhood in the first place. You're right, old friend, he said. The words were smooth and easy. He spoke as if a great weight had been lifted from him. He radiated confidence and strength. He seemed to glow with a violet aura, as if he were the very embodiment of the dark side. And suddenly, inexplicably, Kopej was reassured. I will send word to Cordis, Khan continued, the force emanating from him in palpable waves. You are right. It is time for those at the Academy on Korriban to truly join the ranks of the Sith. Now this part starts with Kopez walking through the Sith camp. He is looking at what is left of the Brotherhood of Darkness, a bunch of Randall soldiers and mediocre Sith masters. Seeing the state of the army, he goes into Khan's tent. This is where Khan looks over at him and already knows what's to come. Kopez is about to start talking a bunch of crap. And he was right, Kopez started to let him have it. Kopez asks Khan, has he seen what their army looks like lately? He tells him if this is what they have to fight with, they might as well burn their black robes and start practicing the Jedi Code. That's messed up. Basically, he is saying there's no chance for them to win. Khan tries his best to reassure Kopez. He tells him that they have reinforcements coming. He names off some army troops and soldiers. But Kopez isn't trying to hear that. He tells Khan that some soldiers aren't going to make any difference in the outcome. They need Sith Lords and Masters to fight against the Jedi. 
Co-Pairs tells Khan that they need the masters and apprentices from Korriban. Khan tells him that the students are not ready to be brought into this war. Kopech tells Khan that the students are more powerful than half of the masters that they have there already. Khan tries to tell Kopech that the apprentices will turn on them. They do not know how to control their anger yet. They will fight among themselves and bring ruin to the brotherhood, which I think Khan is right about. Look at how things are going at the academy right now. Bethany, Sarek, and Bane are all trying to kill each other as we speak. Well, I guess we can exclude Bane at the moment. He still hasn't made it back from the Valley of the Dark Lords. But that's just who they are talking about. You know that the rest of the students are planning things as we speak. This has always been the way of the dark side. Then Khan tells Kopez that the apprentices on Korriban are the future of the Sith. Kopez tells him if they lose the war, there is no future for the Sith. Then Khan agrees with him, telling Kopez that he was right and he would send word to Cordis. It is time for the Sith on Korriban to join the Brotherhood of Darkness. That way, all the Sith would be united to defeat the Jedi once and for all. And here's where the chapter comes to an end. Overall, it was a pretty good chapter. It had a lot of information and deception. Not really that much action as for fighting, but all chapters can be dueling in war. I know if you're anything like me, that's what you want to hear, but there would be very little story if an author wrote like that. Okay, let's see what we got for news and rumors today. And I don't know if you guys have heard anything about this yet, but the Mandalorian star Gino Carano got fired after some social media controversy. Lucasfilms called Gina's social media posts unacceptable. She compared the treatment of Jewish people during the Holocaust to how the modern day Republicans are treated. This was posted on Instagram last Wednesday, but she deleted it after fans criticized her for the post. Then the hashtag fired Gina Carano start. A Lucasfilm spokesperson confirmed that she is no longer employed by Lucasfilm and there are no plans for her to be in the future. Now this is a tragedy on both sides. I don't think that an actor should be blacklisted because of their political views, but I do think the actor should be held to a higher standard. She don't know how many young people look up to her. An actor should always keep that in mind. You don't want to influence someone in the wrong way. But it kind of sucks because she was perfect for her part in The Mandalorian. It made me think of something that my dad used to always say. Don't ever believe that you are so good that you can't be replaced. There's already fans sending out social media posts about who Disney should get to play the part. Okay, enough with the news and rumors. Let's get to the quote for this week. And it comes to us from Roy T. Bennett. And he said, don't be pushed around by the fear in your mind. Be led by the dreams in your heart. Too many times we allow our mind to trick us into doubting. We allow ourselves to let fear control our actions so we don't go after the dreams in our heart. You should never let fear dictate what you do. I have found that every person that I have talked to that is successful told me that they were scared when they started out their first business or any business or any venture. But they all had one thing in common. They did not let their fear of failure keep them from starting. And because of this, they are now successful. I just want everyone to understand that everyone is tricked by fear. The only thing that separates the people that succeed and the people that don't is the people that succeed don't let their fear win. They follow their hearts and their dreams. And on that note is where we will end this episode. Tune in next episode to find out what happens in chapter 19. Hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to Sway. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can find us and subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shit and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quentin McDaniel, sound designed by Theodore Thompson, researched by Tammy Turner. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.